0: to the next episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive, or saddle for short. I am Alison Barton-Simmons.
1: Now then, I'm Eggs Benedict.
0: We are currently deep diving the John Sullivan series, Dear John, and we are up to Series 2, Episode 2.
1: And we usually say at this point that you can watch along with us by visiting our website or going on to Dailymotion, but um, it looks like all the Dear John clips have been Pulled off Daily Motion, all of the full episodes. So, presumably, Forces TV got the lawyers on the case and said, What's this doing on for you? Or snatched. even the BBC. <laughs> yeah. So, all of the embeds on our website no longer work and Forces TV are no longer showing it. So, we're talking about a TV show that you got no access to unless you bought the DVDs.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Forces TV, have they finished showing it all now? Is that, what, is that the crack?
1: Apparently, yeah. They're not shown anymore. Well, I mean, they may repeat at some point, but oh, it's not okay. on the schedules at the moment. So, I guess the only place you can probably, for the moment, catch up with the episodes before listening to us is on our Facebook group because as things stand I'm posting the entire episode in our Facebook group and Facebook don't seem to be doing anything about it currently so if you join our Facebook group you should be able to to watch the episode in full before listening to our deep dives of it
0: oh that's good news that's good news hmm. so this episode was shown on September the 14th 1987 do you have the name of the episode
1: Ben I think from last week, wasn't it, called Confidence? I think
0: it was. And we've got we've got one of the characters that appeared last week back in this episode as well for um
1: More's the Pity. For another show, <laughs>
0: yes. Yes indeed. But before we start, as we have done with both the previous series that we've deep dived, of The Good Life and Um Forty Towers, we have got some dear John Limerick.
1: Yeah, I'm always a little bit cautious about this
0: I get really enthusiastic about doing the limericks and then when I actually sit down to try and do them I just get complete writer's block but we'll give it, well should we just give it a go we'll see what we've got
1: we'll give it a go, I've only got a couple so you might have to okay. you Might have to cover me somewhat here
0: okie dokie well I've got a John one, shall I start with a John ok ok, I apologise in advance John was a teacher at school whose clothing was very uncool his ex was a bitch and a cheating old witch who took <laughs> poor old John for a fool.
1: Aww. Oh, yes, that sums up the tragedy of John Lacey, is not
0: there it? in a nutshell.
1: It is. Very good, Al. I'll, I'll give you my first one. I'm really not committing to these. <laughs> At home, a recluse named Eric, who really was rather pathetic, invented this Burke and swanned round as Kirk with a Tony Monero aesthetic. <laughs>
0: Well done for the rhyming of aesthetic. That's fab.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've, got, I've
0: got a Kirk one as well, slash Eric. Kirk was a man on the pull whose diary did always seem full, but he fibbed about tons like sleeping with nuns, and as Eric, he was just rather dull.
1: Hold on, what's dull rhyming with there?
0: Pull and full.
1: Oh, yeah, all right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry for questioning it. I
0: think I double, double rhymed.
1: I thought you just picked a random word at the end, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I must have got distracted by the line four and five, three and four even.
0: Some slam poetry.
1: I was listening to our friends at British Sitcom History podcast, and
0: yes.
1: Gareth was saying how uh, performance poets can basically get away with just saying any old shite, <laughs> and you it's true, isn't, it's isn't it? it? It's just
0: word, it's just word vomit, isn't it? When you when you do that kind of poetry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think he was talking about Craig Charles because it was a Red Dwarf episode, which is oh, really good, actually. Okay. So, I recommend uh recommend you listen to that if you haven't already. Uh, okay, I've got another one. Okay. Next door there lived Mrs. Lemensky, which doesn't quite rhyme with Kachansky. <laughs> 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 she invaded John's space and called him a fruit case, but in the end they become quite firm Frensky.
0: I love it. A <laughs>
1: <laughs> bit ambitious, that one, eh?
0: Oh. I've got. I've got a Kate one.
1: Oh, great. Okay.
0: Um, they're getting um, decidedly shit from now on. Okay. Not that the other two were amazing, but mm. here we go. Kate was quite cold, it is true, and three marriages had left her so blue. But her friends at the club took her out to the pub and there Kirk tried his best to a woo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it works. It scans. I like that one. That's good. Got any others? Because I'm, I'm fresh out.
0: I've got three more.
1: <laughs> oh, go on then. Go on then. And okay. if they're awful, I'll cut them.
0: <laughs> right, that, that's fine. That's fine. Louise was the head of the club who dragged members off to the pub. As they drank, she would probe with her eyes, she'd disrobe and give the men's legs a quick rub.
1: Okay. <laughs> the mind boggles.
0: Sexual predator Louise.
1: You didn't try and rhyme something with Arnett, did you? I didn't
0: know. To... Barnett!
1: Mm.
0: Oh, I've missed a trick there. Anyway, with that observation, Mrs A wore a fabulous hat, but Kirk behaved like a big twat. The nuts that he's through all went in, except a few, while the group sat around and did chat.
1: Very good. I like it.
0: Right, I think this is the last one. I just got myself out of my misery. Ralph was somebody who... Like to stay in alone and eat stew. Did he? <laughs> so to make him feel better, he became a go getter at the disco, shouting boogaloo.
1: <laughs> There's definitely one questionable line in that one. There else. is.
0: I'm sure he did though. At some point, staying alone, he probably and did. And yeah. And stew. I was trying to think of just a really dull food that he would eat. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's a shame that his terrapin wasn't called stew.
0: Terrapin stew.
1: Yeah. Never mind.
0: So, so there we go. For for your listening pleasure, Um, li- 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 limericks from Dear John.
1: If you have any better than that, which won't be hard, then um, send them in to us and we'll read them out maybe next time round. Do you know what? I'm just going to make a quick clarification from like an episode we did eight episodes ago.
0: Okay. Eight episodes ago. Okay.
1: Yeah. I've recently discovered that Jean Chalice isn't related to John Chalice whatsoever.
0: Oh, no, really? Are they not married, like you said?
1: No, I found, um, I don't know what I was Googling, A person's Google history is between them and the keyboard, I think. But um, Of
0: course it is, yeah. Don't need to divulge, no.
1: I found tweets from John Chalice. He was quite an active Twitter person before he died. Oh, right. Loads of people have asked him it over the years, and he, he he's quite responsive as well. Quite um, active, wasn't he, in his sort of Only Fools and Horses. Oh community sort of thing and loads of people have asked him and he's like no no relation people have written i think the wikipedia says i was married to her but i've never even met her
0: oh my god (laughs) right okay oh well that's a good clarification then right
1: it is a good clarification but i did discover that jean chalice did have her own radio show on bbc radio 2 i think in the 70s that's
0: really interesting and it
1: was really popular so she's 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 actually quite well known for that so i might see if i can find like a clip from her from her djing days
0: That'd be nice. I wonder if she, if she sort of speaks in the same way.
1: Don't think so. You wouldn't You wouldn't think that's much of a BBC voice. <laughs> no. <laughs> but who'd have thought she'd be a DJ like Dazzling Darren?
0: I wonder if she shouts like Boogaloo. See what you can find. Oh, that's exciting. Okay, shall we start our deep dive then?
1: Let's get stuck in.
0: Okie doke. Dear
2: dear John. Dear- By the time you read these lines, I'll be gone. So
0: this episode opens up at the one-to-one club and Louise is busy around round. She's putting papers out on, onto seats and Mrs Arnott, um, bless her, is following around and telling her all about her daughter who lives in Sheffield and works for the Save the Children Fund. Tosh is there again after Tosh. last week. <laughs> he's, he's returned for another, another go, another run at the one-to-one club. This time in a leather waistcoat, but more about that later. Like any good narcissist, he links the conversation back to how he once played a gig in Sheffield, opening for Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Mrs Arnott says she was there because <laughs> she she followed him round the country to watch Ricky Fortune and the Fortunates. yeah, I can't imagine her being um being a, a groupie I don't know what would what would it be what would it be if you were a groupie of Ricky Fortune would you would
1: well, you think it would be a fortunate, but that's the name of the band itself, it is. isn't it? An unfortunate, perhaps.
0: An unfortunate, there we go. <laughs> oh. Ricky starts to tell John about the ladies in the front rows at these gigs who would throw their bras at him. Hmm. But I couldn't tell, Miss Stanup she pulled a face, but I couldn't tell whether she was offended, upset, or gutted that it wasn't her that had thrown a bra on stage.
1: Maybe she was embarrassed because it was her. <gasps> Do you reckon? Yeah, it's difficult to tell, isn't it? She pulls that face. Mm. Sort of a comedy, comedy gurning face, quite a bit, and you're not entirely sure what it's meant to signify.
0: No, there was no indication really of what, what it was in in response to.
1: No, I would I would sort of guess that it's more likely it was like distaste. Okay, that she had for the bra throwing women.
0: She then goes on and tells the group about her daughter, who is working with the charity to help with the famine in Mozambique. And she'd seen clips of what was going on over there and it was making her cry. So she decided that she wanted to to, to help in some way. And the group sort of read into that, that Mrs. Arnott wants to fly out to Southeast Africa mm. to get involved with helping these, these children in, in the famine. And John says he can't quite believe it. And Louise chimes in, yes, in that hat, <laughs> <laughs> which made me laugh loads. <laughs> She talks about catching a non-stop coach from Victoria Station. At this point, I thought, blimey, that is a long journey. That is a long journey from Victoria Station. But then it turns out she's only going to Sheffield so that she can look after her grandchildren so that her daughter can go to Mozambique, which makes, which makes more sense. Which
1: makes sense, <laughs> yes yeah.
0: Louise says that they're going to have a party to say goodbye to Mrs Arnott.
1: Who's only going for like a bloody a month or something, you yeah, would assume.
0: Yeah, she's not leaving forever. She's going to go on... No, a, she a, says
1: she'll be back.
0: Yeah. And she says to to Louise, well, don't do anything special. And very quickly, Louise says, oh, all right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Give it with one hand and take it away with the other. Kirk tells Tosh that when he first came to the group, he wasn't sure if Tosh was actually telling the truth about being a rock star or if he was a jerk. And he said he gave him the benefit of the doubt and realises now that he is just a jerk. Mm. Which is, I think... Kirk's quite mean, isn't he, with Ricky Fortune?
1: Well, he's quite mean with everyone, really. He is, but... He it, likes to it, take the piss.
0: Yeah, it just feels a bit... Oh, it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable when he's so mean to so mean to him. I
1: mean, he's clearly just jealous of the attention, and he's, he's playing the spy card quite heavy he again is. now, isn't he? Constantly. Talking about his instinct being the difference between life and death and things like this.
0: Yeah. Tosh says that he, he doesn't really get Kirk at all. Mm. And question—he does actually question whether he is a spy. And Kate sort of plays along and says, "Yeah, he is."
1: Anybody would think he's a spy.
2: He is <laughs> a spy. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't
1: have said that, Kate.
2: There's even been a book and a television series about Kirk's exploits behind the Iron Curtain. You may have seen it. Tinker, tailor, soldier, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'd watch the hell out of that.
1: <laughs> I knew you'd like that bit. I tell you what, it makes you wonder about what they did in America to make him a genuine spy, Kirk St. Moritz. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to deep dive one of them and see
0: I how Kirk so. differs.
1: Yeah. Now, there's a reference here, isn't it, to Freddie and the Dream. It's totally crowbarred in.
0: It is crowbarred in, yeah. Really, So much clumsily. so that I didn't realise it until the end that I'd, that I'd sort of missed the gist of this, yeah.
2: My cousin works for a show business agent and she knows Freddie and the Dreamers. Not in the biblical sense, of course, but she's on their Christmas card list. Oh, hello, Louise. Do you want to know a secret was a hit for Billy J. Kramer? Yeah, that's
1: right, yeah.
2: I know. I'm just saying she knows
0: Freddie and the Dreamers. So? Yeah, there's a real tenuous link.
1: But it comes back later on.
0: Tosh, rep- um, he reminisces about the fans trying to break down the doors when they were at gigs. And Kirk asks, is is it because they couldn't get out of the windows? (laughs) Hmm. He's really sticking the knife in, isn't he? Sylvia says that her ex-husband once saw him and asks if he'd ever been on the Sutty Show. And Tosh, (laughs) he's really offended by this.
1: I wouldn't be. I'd be chuffed to be on a Sooty Show. Yeah. Capes used to be on it all the time. He loved it, didn't
0: he? Yeah. He then goes into some detail about his his wife and he throws in that he once played on the same bill as Elvis. Now, that would have been, surely that's your opener. With with any sort of conversation about being a musician. Yeah. But he just sort of drops it into conversation here.
1: I think he's, he's dropping it into conversation and he's holding court in the way Kirk does, which is why Kirk's giving him the filthy look. Yeah. But I think it, Kirk's not only jealous of the attention he's getting, I think he's probably jealous of the fact that he's a much more convincing bullshitter than he is.
0: Yes. Because yeah, I'm not convinced true. this
1: Elvis thing is even true, you know.
0: Because Kirk is hes quite a conspiracy theorist, isn't he, I think, Kirk as well? And he says that Elvis isn't even dead, you know, and neither is Buddy Holly or John Lennon.
1: Yeah, they all fate their own deaths.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Ricky tells us that his wife is called Moonstar, and he once thought that she was Cher at a gig when he, when he saw her. So Kirk is so... He, he, he hates the fact that he is not the centre of attention in this conversation, and randomly just adds... The last time I saw Janice Joplin, she was windsurfing. <laughs> she really made me laugh. She <laughs> doesn't get the laugh that it deserves, though. No. The audience didn't laugh, and I was pretty hysterical because I just thought that, that was brilliant. What a brilliant line.
1: That's all right, Mrs Boyd
2: Peters. You have that one on me.
0: Now, there's a weird hashtag different times conversation about Moonstar being a Sioux. Yeah. Which we understand means Sioux Indian, but the group... Then go off at a tangent and think that he's just confused and that she'd actually called Sue and not Moonstar.
1: Yes, that Sue as in short for Susan, and Sylvia yes. explains that at length, doesn't she?
0: Yeah, but he just eventually he, he just insists that she that she was a lovely, gentle, beautiful woman.
2: <laughs> Sorry, Ricky Moon Who Star Moonstar. That was my wife's name. It's not the sort of name that one
1: overhears that often in Waitrose, is it? Well, actually, she was Sue. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be that sort of thing. What sort of thing? Well, Sue or Cherokee. I once read a book about
2: North America. <laughs> <laughs> no, Ralph. Her real name was Sue. Susan. Sue. Sue. <laughs> <Sweetheart. laughs>
1: she was really called Moonstar. She was a Sioux Indian.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Rick. Sorry, Ralph.
1: (laughs) She was a direct descendant of Sitting Bull.
2: The Sitting Bull?
1: That's right, yeah. She did that to your scalp then. (laughs) Oh. Well, he says she was a descendant of Sitting Bull. Yeah. Uh, Because Kirk's taking the piss constantly, as he he does. I thought, yeah, I, I felt a little bit like I didn't get the references because I don't know a hell of a lot about any of that stuff. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it felt a bit over my head. I felt like if there was a a documentary on BBC Two about Squawking Bird that I could have reserved yes. for the length of this televisual feast, <laughs> that would help me understand what was going on.
0: Yeah. Apparently the, all the fortunates from the band got put in prison for drug smuggling. Out of the Yemen? <laughs> and Yes, Indeed. The work ran out, the money ran out and then Moonstar ran out so this, this is how he's found himself at the one-to-one club Louise, she's ready, she's ready to pounce with the question were there any sexual problems and the group all groan because they've heard it so many times now that every member that turns up gets um, interrogated about their sexual history um, but then he, he, he says yeah and her face just lights up <laughs> were
1: there
2: <any> sexual? <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) I mean, oh. in what way did these problems manifest themselves? She
0: realises what she's doing and she calms it down a little bit. But I thought it was a really well timed gag. She's like, obviously waiting for someone to go, "Yes, there were," and then divulge all the details. But when they do, it makes her feel a bit uncomfortable. I think
1: she can't contain her excitement to begin with.
0: No, she can't.
1: And she has to sort of rein it in. To be fair to um, to Ricky, who, as I said before, I don't like as a character. Yeah, he's very open, isn't he? Which yes. is unusual of men of the time. She asks him, and he thinks about it, and sort of summons up the courage. You can see him going, "Yeah, what shall I be honest about this?" And he and he is honest, and it's a I, don't, I can't decide if it's a brave or a foolish thing to be in that particular group with Kirk there, and
0: yeah, he, he, he's happy sharing though.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what he's sharing is that basically the drugs meant that he couldn't perform.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he describes that as the, the drugs and the booze didn't help him perform the simplest of tasks. Hmm. And Louise is quite flustered and she ends the meeting really quickly.
1: <laughs> yeah. The moment she gets some proper juicy stuff to get stuck into, yeah. she runs away from it.
0: Yeah, can't cope with it. But Toshie is crying by the stage and he's feeling really sad. So John sort of takes him under his wing and asks him if he wants to go for a drink so that he can help and they they leave the meeting with with Kirk doing a really racist Native American call as as they're going out the door. Different times, though. John asks Louise about, about this do for Mrs Arnott leaving. He suggests, why don't they hire a hall for a swinging 60s do? Ralph can DJ, and they can raise some money for Mrs Arnott's daughter's charity and get Ricky to perform. So John's sort of like trying to tie everything up so that everybody's kept happy with one single event and it's quite i think it's quite nice isn't it he's it's quite a yeah. nice suggestion
1: well this is because he's an empathetic person he's Indeed. thinking of what i can do for people all the time isn't he
0: yes what can i do to help
1: i mean the, the, the mistake he makes here is he doesn't actually state ricky by name he just says a, a 60s pop star yeah on the bill and um louise is oh yeah that might work but clearly you know this is why we had mention of um of the Freddie and the Dreamers early on.
0: Yes, the Crowbard r- relative that she's got.
1: Yeah, exactly. But she has a great line in this bit as well, where when John suggests Dazzling Darren, she says, Dazzling Darren, he's closed more clubs than the Vice squad. <laughs>
0: oh. John goes to speak to, um, to, to Ricky and sort of tell him all about what he's just spoken to Louise about, and then Louise is left imagining being asked about her charity work and grants herself a damehood in this imaginary conversation mm. as well. Wow. Do you have a family, Louise? No. We couldn't. My husband had a vein. We're then in John's flat in the next scene and he's going through his wardrobe. At first of all, what the hell is he doing? And then I remembered it is a 60s a 60s themed do that that John's yeah. planned in his head on his own. And he's trying on all his old his old clothes and he tries on a sheepskin waistcoat and a headband. And then I think I heard this right says he can't believe he used to wear that. He looks like a womble with ringworm.
1: Yeah, he did say that. Yeah,
0: I, 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 I just didn't. I didn't get it. I thought, is there a joke? I didn't get here the ringworm
1: I've... thing, but the womble thing definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. But but the ring, the ringworm. Ringworm. I'm not
1: entirely sure. No.
0: no, I wasn't sure that was um, <laughs> appropriate. He apparently wore all this garb at the teacher training college that he went to. And there's a knock at the door, and he quickly just takes everything off, apart from the headband, and it's Ricky at the door. He was passing, and he wanted to call in.
1: He's doing his uh, peace and love sign, isn't he? Like Ringer.
0: Oh no! Peace and love. Peace Peace and love.
1: love. I'm not signing any autographs. Peace and love. (laughs) He he is Liverpoolian as well, isn't he, Ricky? He sounds
0: it. I think the accent that he does is. I'm not. Is he? Is he really in real life?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, It sounded quite fake, but it might have just been a Liverpool accent of of a time. Okay. Do you know the way accents? You know, you probably hear different types of Bolton accent, I guess, when you're from a place. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been just a slightly different one, but there's something weird in the way he says his R's, which just doesn't sound authentic It didn't sit
0: right, yes. That's what made me yeah. question whether he was officially a a scouter.
1: I've not seen him in enough other than the... I've only really seen him in the bill.
0: Mm.
1: He wasn't scouting that, was he?
0: No. Rick has arrived with a bottle of booze in his pocket. And he offers John a drink, but John says, no thanks, I've got school in the morning. And Rick says, where do you keep your glasses? And John says, I keep it up there, which is just (laughs) another sort of circle around the fact that John's, John has a sad bed sit life on his own. Yeah. With his, with his one little glass. They talk about the gig at the disco, um, at weekend and Tosh says that he can't do it. John tries to talk him round though, and he says, he knows nothing about the place and he can't do it because he's scared and he's got a real fear of failing, which again goes back to what you were saying before about how he was so open about his feelings, which was just not very usual during the 80s, I don't think, was it?
1: No, I don't think so. I think you would be ridiculed a lot by fellow males for for being so honest about your neuroses and stuff.
0: Yeah. Josh says he can't get over the nightmare of Milton Keynes.
1: Yeah, well, I've been. I know what he means. <laughs>
0: Yeah. He said he'd been playing there at a comeback um, not that long ago. Um, He'd been terrified, and a young crowd of kids that were waiting for another band then started throwing things. He ran from the stage. John tries to talk him round, but Tosh says, have you ever had 100 kids hurling things at you? And John says, yeah, of course I have. I'm a teacher. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But he's saying here, isn't he, that basically he wasn't a real musician, that the other fellows in the band, Mick, Lenny, Buzz and Crispin. Yeah. Which... It's a funny collection of names that John Sullivan's thought up. Um, they were the real musicians, and he was only the front man because he was the best looking. And essentially, they were just uh, a curated, manufactured yeah. band, like something Simon Fuller would have created, like absolutely the Spice Girls um, or um, Vanilla. You remember Vanilla?
0: Even Moonstar was part of the act as, a, as like a Yorko. They wanted like a Yorko, but she actually yeah. worked in a wimpy.
1: Yeah, she's just a PR thing. So I don't know if that sort of thing... Was as commonplace in the eighties as it certainly was in the nineties. Yeah,
2: but, I mean, he did have stat. bands
1: who were quite manufactured, but the manufactured like boy bands at least seem to have a lot, lot more talent.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, that's a bit unfair on on. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to tar them all with the same brush, mm. but certainly Simon Fuller's bands, like the Spice Girls and Vanilla, who were only put together for a bet. Yeah, to, to see if they could. Uh, that was famously a very chauvinistic bet, wasn't it? That was mm. like. If you, I Bet You I Can Pick Five Munters and Make Them Famous, basically, was yeah. the bet, with, with with a song that was based on the Muppets. Yeah.
0: John gives him a bit of a talking to here and tells him to be grateful for what he has and to get on the stage. He says his fear is nothing compared to these children that Mrs Arnott's daughter is helping. He says you're scared, they're bleeding petrified, which I thought was quite poignant.
1: Very impassioned, wasn't he?
0: Yes. I think he is quite a I, I see John as being someone that we already know that he's someone that helps other people and he wants to go out of his way to help other people. And I think it stretches across his entire entire life, doesn't it? He's he's someone that wants to see other people be alright.
1: It is, yeah, it is that. He's also helping Ricky by giving him a sort, you know, sometimes tough love is needed, isn't yeah. it? But the cringe scene that follows oh, oh, The Manic oh air God. guitar
0: and the singing into the fake microphone. And he sings his, his one famous song that's got two lines that we hear over and over again.
1: And the moves that he does, you know, like the sort yeah. of Tony Minero type moves, I suppose, oh. aren't they?
0: It's very creepy. There's a well-timed knock at the door, though, <laughs> luckily. <laughs> and it's Mrs Lemensky. What is all this racket noise I hear? I love her. And then John introdu- introduces her to Ricky, and Mrs Lemensky says to John, You're crazy, man. First, your learned teacher... No, you're beastie boy. I think, did she say that? Did she say that you're a beastie yeah, boy? Beastie I boy, love yeah. that. I think Mrs. Lamenty's got like a secret subscription to like Enemy or something. Because maybe an old lady that that just lives in a bedsit knows about beastie boys.
1: Well, also she recognises uh, Ricky from the Sutty Show. She does. So I love that. She's obviously got secret interest, doesn't I she? I love that the
0: joke <laughs> sort of arcs all the way through the through this episode.
1: Well, she does ask him. First of all, she says, are you a dick?
0: Are you a dick?
1: Yeah. What did that mean? Detective or what?
0: Or, or, or Ricky, Richard.
1: Oh, yeah, sorry. I Maybe. get it. Right, is okay. that what it is? Yeah, yeah, it must be that, yeah.
0: <laughs> she, does, she does say that uh, when, when Ricky tries to say, oh, it was probably Top of the Pops that you saw me on. And he, she says, no, no, it was sooty. And you spoiled it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. He doesn't to get some blows oh. when he's down this lad, doesn't
0: he? Bless him. In the next scene, they at the disco, so it's all been organised. It's all been put on. Ralph is is the DJ, which is brilliant. Kirk and Sylvia are doing a bit of a slow dance, and Ralph is playing "My Boy Lollipop." And this might have been the first time I ever heard this song, because I I never really heard music before like that. And hmm. it was it, I think that's that that song itself stands out as being of that of of like the time of the sixties and. Just a really unusual sounding pop song. And I remember thinking, oh, I quite, I quite like that. I like, I like the, the sound of that song.
1: Yeah, no, it is a nice song. There's, it is. It actually, Dazzling Darren's putting on some decent records this time around. I think he is. Now he's confined to the 1960s. Yes. I mean, he does ruin him by shouting out things like, don't give me that jive. <laughs> <laughs> Get on down, yeah, and all that sort of stuff. Bless him. Do that funky thing.
0: Kirk says that he likes Sylvia's laugh. Oh, he's literally just trying to trying to get his end away, I think, is
1: I think he's warming up, if anything. Oh. He's just sharpening his sharpening his skills for later. I think he is. Later.
0: Um, she says that her, her ex used to find it intensely irritating. And then she laughs, laughs and Kirk walks off. So he's obviously realised, yep, yeah, her ex is absolutely right. John turns up dressed to the nines in his 60s gear from his teacher training d- days. Um, including the sheepskin waistcoat, coloured round glasses and headband. He realises quite quickly, though, that nobody else is dressed up.
1: Yep, no one's in costume. It's just uh, just himself. And that transpires, doesn't it, that it was a practical joke by Kirk.
0: Oh, what a knob. <laughs> he tells John he's going to be going undercover soon as well, to communist China. And if John can lend him the clothes, he could go as a stir-fried meal. He, oh, just, no discomfort throughout that entire sentence
1: you can to be honest with you i know we've not even finished this episode but you can tell why it's the lowest rated dear john episode yeah some of the gags are a stretch
0: they don't fall well do they the
1: the setup doesn't pay off yeah it's just just definitely the weakest of the bunch i mean everyone's allowed an off day but of
0: course they are
1: (laughs) this is definitely john sullivan's
0: Kate tells John that Ricky's actually arrived and John goes to find him and he's in the wings waiting, but he's like dressed as like a hybrid Gary Glitter, Alvin Stardust, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, which is more 70s, isn't it? Yeah. Not really 60s garb, is it? It
0: had a glam sort of feel to it, didn't it? Like, like platform shoes and these big tinfoil wing things sticking out of his shoulders. Yeah. John tries to give him some encouraging words, though, and wishes him the best of luck. He's ready for it as well until you can tell that he's sort of psyched himself up and he's ready to get on stage and do his thing.
1: Well, sort of. I mean, he's sweating like a pregnant nun, isn't he, he at this is. point? He is.
0: He's there. He's present.
1: Yeah, he's hyped. He's definitely hyped.
0: Yes, he is. Louise goes on the stage and turns. Just, she just turns Ralph's record off. She just like pulls the... Um,
1: pulls the needle, doesn't she, right across the vinyl.
0: <laughs> so she goes onto the stage and we, we think that she's going to introduce Ricky to come on. But she doesn't. She 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 sort of bigs up the act but then introduces Freddie and the Dreamers. Yep. Which is the cousin or the relative and, and not Ricky at all. And so you, you sort of think, Oh god, this has gone like horrendously wrong and Ricky's gonna be really, really sad.
1: But if Ricky at least stayed behind, the girl, yeah. it wouldn't have been as bad. But he bounces out before she even uh. says the name, which makes it all the more awkward.
0: Yeah. They come on and they start singing a song and sound a bit like Jerry and the Pacemakers. and Ricky looks really gutted. Kirk starts to throw nuts at him again. He's, this nut thing is like a—it's—it's it's obviously one of his one of Kirk's things, isn't it? And says, bog off, Bozo! Leave it to the stars." And it, it's quite sad, isn't it?
1: It is sad. I don't know what's sadder, Ricky's disappointment or. The performance of Freddie and the Dreamers with that dancing, yeah,
0: Yeah, that that was was
1: their thing, wasn't it?
0: Bizarre.
1: Have you seen? um, Do you remember that song, one of their big hits? Why do you do what you do to me? Yeah, if I only knew. They were doing weird dances to that. I've seen that performed on stage,
2: really. Like
1: in their pump, they did weird leg things. His knees must have been fucked by the end of it. The way he was sort of like, yeah hopping on the spot and kicking out. It, it was it's just really, really uh, cringe dancing, yeah. isn't it?
0: Perhaps lots of stimulants involved to to keep it up as well. I mean I mean his legs. Yeah <laughs>
1: <God>. <laughs> <laughs> We're not casting aspersions about Freddie.
0: There's no truth in that. That's just my opinion. The audience are enjoying it though, and they're singing along. Um Ricky leaves because he, he's obviously really embarrassed and really sad.
1: Yeah. When when John's out there talking to Ricky before he leaves yeah. in, in his tiny little car, which is a bit of a joke, <laughs> Ricky says to him, you said it was the first steps and it turned out to be the last rites. And that's quite poetic. And it is. And the tragedy of this guy, Ricky Fortune, is is quite full on. And you know when you think about Kirk's big reveal that he was Eric and we discussed how yeah. John Sullivan compensated by ramping up the gags and turning what, yeah. what could have been a real tragedy into like a hyper-comedy moment. This is this is absent here because he's just wallowing in his self-pity and he's saying, you know, you're so bloody good at John and getting really angry. Yeah. And it just doesn't work because the scene, A, goes on too long and B, we just really don't give a shit about Ricky in the same way we do about Kirk. No. And there's just not enough gags to levitate it like they were during Kirk's reveal. So it's yes. it just doesn't work.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. John explains to Louise that she, he thinks that Ricky's got confused because he thought he was going to be asked to be in in the on like do the show, and um, Louise had already asked the cousin. Yeah. Freddie was a favour because of the charity. He came along because it would be a money making thing for Save the Children, and the the aim was that once Freddie had done a set for an hour and then went that Ricky would take over for the rest of the night. But it obviously wasn't communicated very well because now Ricky's gone. But when John realises this, he legs it out, shouting, Ricky! Yeah. (laughs) Really loud. Chasing after him. And the episode finishes. It's an odd place to finish.
2: Seems we've sung, love's last song,
1: dear John. Very anticlimactic as well. Very anticlimactic because... hmm yeah, we get there's been a mix-up, but you would have thought perhaps, maybe they ran out of time, but perhaps a redemption would have been more satisfying, whereby Ricky hadn't quite left yet and he was able to catch him and say, yeah. and he was to have his moment. Not, not that I particularly care, because like I say, Ricky better gone than back in the club, as far as I'm concerned. But
0: but that would have been better. That would have been a more rounded conclusion, I think, to that story, because he doesn't come back. It's not like he comes back next week.
1: No, thankfully not. He's, he's gone now. So That's
0: him gone forever. Weird ending.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Did you have an MVP from this episode? Do
1: you know, I haven't written anything down, so I'm going to think of one on the fly.
0: Okay.
1: God, it's a bit like the other week when I couldn't think of anyone to give it to because no one impressed me that much. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you know what? I'm going to give it to Louise. Okay. I'm going to give it to Louise because she's very organised, isn't she?
0: She is. You know
1: what I mean? She's got everything lined up. She's always got a clipboard. She managed to call in the favour and get Freddie and the... I nearly called them Freddie and the Fortunes, what they called (laughs) (laughs) Freddie Freddie and the Dreamers. Freddie
0: and the Dreamers.
1: Yeah, she's very organised. And I haven't given up one yet, an MVP, and I think she deserves one. So I'm going to give it to Louise, yeah?
0: Yeah. I'm torn this week. Because, like you, it was all spread a bit thin this week, weren't it? There was no real um character at the forefront of the story. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm torn between John because of of sort of instigating the, the do and to sort of incorporate all his friends who could help out but also be helped. Mm. And Mrs Arnott for going looking after her grandkids course, so her daughter yeah. can go to Mozambique.
1: I mean, she's barely in it, but that's probably the most line she's had in any episode.
0: It is, and and she had a real relevance, really, and she was a bit of a catalyst to the whole thing being a thing in this. I'm going to go for Mrs. Arnott this week.
1: Was she even at that? Do I didn't I see
0: don't her? Know. <laughs> Maybe she'd already gone. <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, it was for her, were not it? I, yeah, I'm still going to go for Miss Arnott. But
1: well, you know what, Louise? Louise fucked up by not communicating with the bands properly she probably didn't communicate with mrs Arnott properly didn't tell Mrs
0: Arnott that it was her leaving to yeah she was that caught up in getting a damn hood I'm
1: revoking her MVP yeah I'm gonna give it to John as well I'm gonna taking it off Louise because I realized that she really <gasps> fucked up
0: oh snatched away
1: sorry Louise you get any bric a brat
2: oh I didn't
1: I just got a couple of things just from John's John's flat when uh, Ricky t- Ricky turned up it was full of functional 1980s paraphernalia. There was like was a it? traditional metal kettle that you'd put on a hob. On the hob, yeah. I mean, you know, you still get them. Don't You know, you can still get them. There was like a portable TV that was probably 12 inches at the most. And there was like a traditional alarm clock with bells. Yeah. The side of his bed, all of which you can still get, I know. But they were just very much of their time in terms of their design and yeah ubiquitousness they were you you would find them everywhere wouldn't you those things at that time
0: i think perhaps i didn't i didn't originally think of anything but ricky's costume that he had ready for going on stage is definitely of a time and despite the fact that it didn't really fit into the 60s yeah, it's of a wrong time <laughs> don't, it's of a wrong time it was more of this sort of 70s glam era mm. It's not often, even bands that are still have one foot in in glam. I'm thinking like the Darkness, perhaps, who were mm. very big on spandex and stage presence and and costumes. Even their aesthetic doesn't stretch doesn't stretch to Tim File shoulder pads,
1: massive collars, yeah,
0: and massive collars. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say say that, despite the fact that it gives me the ick because it looks very Gary glittery.
1: Yeah, he's kind of ruined that look. Yes, he he's also ruined the goatee for bald old men, hasn't he? Because if you if you're bald and you've got a little neat grey goatee, then you just look a bit noncy now.
0: You do now, yeah. In, in Thailand,
1: got a lot to answer for. Is hasn't he in
0: Thailand? Mm.
1: Uh, he's Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam. Yeah. Well, he's been everywhere, and he up to no good. He's a wrong gun.
0: He is. That leads me on quite nicely to fashion corner, though.
1: Okay. Whatever happened to those clothes we wore It seems we never wear those clothes no more Fashion cold no.
0: Ricky Fortune, before he puts on his tinfoil Gary Glitter outfit, when he's first at the the meeting is in like a black leather waistcoat which it made me think of like Francis Rossi from Status Quo, you know like an old rocker in the 80s Mm. which I think is, that's the look I think they were going for with, with Ricky Fortune, someone that had been big earlier and now in the 80s the double denim, the granddad collar on his shirt the leather waistcoat, it's like an indicator of this is like an old washed up rocker
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and I think they, they do it, they do it quite well. It, yeah, he's he's not a very I don't know, it's not a particularly attractive look, but that's I think that's what they were going for. Um, Mrs. Arnott, when she first comes in, she's got a ray mac button, literally buttoned up to her ears. It's that high, highly, highly buttoned up. And it's in in that colour that all older people tended to have for their clothes. In, it might still be a thing. I, I think about my grandparents in, like, the 80s and 90s, and there was a colour that, that nanas and granddads wore, and it was, like, a fawn. There was, like, various shades of fawn, and they all had them, and shops sold them particularly for older people. My granddad had one, and we, if we ever lost him anywhere, it was really hard to find him <laughs> because all old men yeah. had had that jacket and that colour and the same hat and then you'd have to go round shouting Grandad, Grandad, but they'd all turn round so you never knew if, if you'd found the right one
1: Was <laughs> it like that episode of uh, Father Ted where they're trying to get <laughs> trying to get Father Jack out the old people's home and they, all look, the they all look the same? They all look the
0: same, they all look the same She's also got a, a matching fawn hat adorned with like a bejewelled brooch as well in the front of it which is quite fancy she's, she, she has got the odd like adornment does Mrs Arnott to sort of flashy up what she's wearing louise at the meeting um, is in and I, I quite like this it was like a lilac and white vertical wave patterned knitted blows there's lots going on there so let me just um just pick that apart the lilac that she had matched the the skirt as well but these it had like white knitted waves that went up the side of each of, of both sides of the uh, of the top it was lovely. It was really nice. Mm. And it, I think, yeah, it made me re- it made me look at her and recognise that she does look different in this series, the woman that plays Louise. She just looks... I don't know what it is. There's just something that looks different about her.
1: It's only a year apart, but yeah. Yeah. I, I concur with that. She does look... There's something about her.
0: There is something about her. At the disco later on, I'm just jumping ahead a little bit, she's in like a black and white zebra slash palm leaf slash... Other animal print long jacket over like a black, I don't know if it's like a trouser suit or a top and a top and trousers, but it's it's quite a lively looking long jacket. But it looked really cool, and I think you could go into like shops on the high street now and get something probably similar, or at least a dress or something using that print. That print doesn't look old fashion like a lot of the fashions in this series do. There's something about it that's that's quite reminiscent of um, of today's fashions. Kirk is in that great jacket again. He, he, he sort of alternates between his Tony monero jacket and this grey jacket with the sleeves rolled up a la Miami Vice with a red shirt underneath and Kate at the disco is in a blue and white patterned vest sleeve dress with an elasticated waist there's lots of beads and earrings going on as well in this episode from the women just to sort of like smarten up what they've got on um we've mentioned before as well about ricky fortune's gary glitter outfit it's yeah it's just like finally shiny silver
1: it just looks cheap as well doesn't it, it looks <laughs> cheap. awful
0: yeah there's yeah there's nothing there's nothing redeeming really about what he's got on
1: what about freddie and the dreamers what were they what was their attire
0: they were just in like like shirts and pants weren't they it was very sort of plain nothing much it wasn't, yeah. wasn't really exciting for a for a band i don't know there's the, I don't, it went from like one extreme to the other didn't it there's like tinfoil ricky yeah so just just guys looking like they're at a funeral
1: there was a there was a line which is it's almost blink if you miss it where Freddie mm. says to Ricky hello Ricky when did you get out which is a callback yeah. to him being in prison yeah for smuggling drugs but I think it was it was almost missed and didn't land
0: were we, were we supposed to sort of read into that that they knew each other really but I didn't think Ricky had gone to prison I thought the rest of the band had
1: again it's just this one's not tied up unless unless the idea is okay. that He's just assumed to have gone down with his mates. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's it's just it's a sloppy one, isn't it, let's be honest.
0: It is. There's just lots of things that don't really fit together. Not my favourite of the episode so far, I must admit.
1: No, I think it's the lowest rated on IMDB, six point something.
0: That's quite low, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the rest of them are all seven point seven, seven point eight type thing, you know. Okay. But next week's one is um is a bit of an improvement. This one brings um Will Bates back in, Ralph Bates' real son. Little Toby. Playing Toby. And the episode's actually called Problems with Toby. Oh, Christ. Is it? Wendy in it? Wendy's in it, but uh, she's quite sympathetic in this one. She's not a horrible cow in this one.
0: Okay. Not a bitch and a witch.
1: <laughs> no, she's not, no. <laughs> so you just reminded me that I tried to rhyme <laughs> Lemensky with Kachansky, and I'm cringing at myself. <laughs>
0: You can follow us at Saddle Podcast on Twitter and Instagram where we post rare photos and videos on Dear John, faulty Towers and The Good Life and more. We have a Facebook page you can find by searching Saddle Podcast and we also have a growing Facebook group that you can join and contribute to with discussions and memes and rarities that you might find yourself. This is where we post the episodes we deep dive each week and for now it might be the only place where you can catch Dear John. Subscribe to our newsletter as well by visiting our website, saddle.club, where you can also get more information about us, read our blog, show us a coffee, or take our super tricky Good Life and Faulty Towers quizzes. Get in touch, email us at saddlepodcast@gmail.com, at and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes.
1: We're quite hopeful that we'll have a special guest interview lined up week after next, aren't we? I hope so. If all the stars align, we might be able to uh, have a little bonus episode. I'm not sure about time differences. It might just be you, mightn't it? Doing this. It might. No pressure, Al. No pressure.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so join us again next week, where we'll have a look at Series Two, Episode Three: Problems with Toby. Yeah. I'll see thee.
2: Bye. Dear John, dear John. By the time to read these lines gone, life goes on, right or wrong. now it's all been said and done, dear John, seems we've sung love's last, last song, dear John.